How is it that innovative software solutions have the ability to change the world and improve our lives, yet they don't sell themselves? How is it that I know my target market, but I'm not able to generate enough qualified sales opportunities? How do I even get started to create visibility for my brand across channels when I'm not an expert at marketing? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Welcome to Simplified, software marketing made simple. Okay. Hi, everyone. This is Liz from MediaDev, and today I'm joined by Liam Martin, who is the co-founder of staff.com and co-organizer of Running Remote and an expert about managing remote teams. So I'm very excited to have Liam here today. Hi, Liam. How are you? I'm very good. You know, it's interesting. You were saying expert about remote teams. And I mean, that's still true, but it, and it was true a year ago, but it means a completely different thing a year ago than it did today. Absolutely. And I don't think anyone would have thought that the majority of their teams would be working for basically over a year as, as remote workers. Kind well, of and neither did I. <laughs> sure. and I'm the one that's thinking about it all day long, right? I've I been bet. working remotely for 15 years. We've been running a remote first company with employees in 43 different countries all over the world. And I was, if you had told me, hey, you know what? In, uh, in June of 2021, 46% of the U.S. workforce will be working remotely, I would have called you a liar. Uh, I would have said that that would have never, ever happened. And here we are, you know, post-pandemic, and a lot of this stuff is really starting to stick, which is, uh, I think, probably the, the issue that we really want to talk about today, which is, and every, everyone that's asking me this question, what's going to happen post-pandemic? Are we going to be going back to the office? Are we going to be staying remote? Are we going to be doing something in between? No one really knows the answer. And, um, but there are a lot of interesting insights that kind of connect to that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dig into that a little bit deeper. Um, I know that you've organized a really fantastic conference called Running Remote, which is you know bringing together thought leaders from the industry to talk about the various different aspects of, of running remotely working with remote teams. Um, mm -hmm. So what to you are kind of the advantages and inconveniences of remote work? What are some of the best practices when it comes to having a team of people working remotely? I mean, I know that there are some attitudes, especially in, in certain countries. I, France is one of them, uh, you know, which is obviously where I'm based. You know, they're kind of old school managers that still perform, you know, they think that people perform best in an office environment. So mm -hmm. You know, what's your we thought call that about management that? by attendance, <laughs> uh, which is really bad. Uh, so anyways, yeah. So the, the space right now, I mean, when you kind of see the differentiator between successful remote teams and unsuccessful remote teams and what we lovingly refer to as the pandemic panickers, uh, just to kind of paint the picture in February of 2020, about 4.5% of the US workforce was working remotely. And by March, that number had jumped to 46% of the entire US workforce working remotely. And it was over 80% of people that primarily used a computer. So it was a complete transformation of the economy. Uh, I like to call it, it was the fastest, fastest movement of labor since the industrial revolution but the industrial mm. revolution took 80 years and we did it in three weeks uh, which was 
insane. Yeah, so incredible. now we're really kind of starting to see where the good remote teams differentiate from the not so good remote teams. And they really boil down to three core tenets. The first one is asynchronous communication. The second one is process documentation. And then the third one is autonomy. So if you really had to kind of boil down what are the three things that are absolutely critical to having a successful remote organization, it's asynchronous communication or management, um, the ability for people to have autonomy in how they work and building in process documentation or in essence bureaucracy inside of the organization. So I can unpack that um, very quickly. Asynchronous communication, is right now what we're doing is we're communicating synchronously, but when you are, when people are listening to this recording, they're listening to it asynchronously. And mm -hmm. most organizations that are successful inside of the remote world, they are primarily asynchronous in their forms of communication. So what that means is no Slack notifications, no Microsoft team beeps and bops, no Facebook notifications, mm. not responding to an email immediately. It's the ability for people to be able to focus on deep work, meaning they work themselves and they accomplish their work on their own. And when you are, when you must communicate synchronously, making that as fast and as and as efficient as humanly possible. And the reason why this is so difficult for a lot of pandemic panickers to really understand is because their entire model is built off of synchronous collaboration. And remote teams have recognized that collaboration is actually something that you can do a la carte as opposed to an all-you-can-eat buffet. Because when everyone travels into a particular office, they all spend an hour and a half of their time moving into one particular location. And then synchronous communication costs them nothing. And it effectively actually does cost them quite a bit, but they've already paid the cost because they just drove in 90 minutes. You just spent all of that company's money having people drive into an office uh, 90 minutes a pop times, you know, a thousand people. So remote teams have recognized, well, we don't actually need to disrupt people all that much. We don't need to pay that cost. It's an a la carte model. So when we meet for a meeting, it can be a half hour meeting instead of a 90 minute meeting. We can actually communicate and discuss all of the issues connected to that meeting asynchronously before we actually jump into that particular meeting. And maybe we only actually discuss the issues that came up from the back and forth that we had while we were communicating asynchronous. We have a rule inside of the company, which is no one can do a presentation synchronously. All presentations must be done asynchronously. So literally you just record your screen, you do your presentation, you post that up on Basecamp, and then we have a discussion about that particular issue. And if we actually don't have any other issues that need to be met synchronously, we say, hey, that meeting is concluded. Uh, we like to call them silent meetings. Hmm. So that's a perfect example of why a lot of remote teams pre-pandemic were so successful and why a lot of the pandemic panickers are so unsuccessful in adopting large scale remote team um, kind of like success basically is because they lack this core tenant, which is understanding that collaboration and synchronous communication is actually sometimes really detrimental to the success of your organization, which is very counterintuitive.
Uh, and then process documentation. I mean, you have to really, inside of a remote team, have everything written down. We have a rule, which is there's no sacred knowledge inside mm -hmm. of an organization. So if one person knows something that's absolutely critical to the success of the business, that is a failure point that you need to expose as quickly as, and as humanly possible. So we, uh, we write all that stuff down. Um, and then you can, if I sent you my process docs for running remote as an example, or time doctor or staff.com, you'd know how to run the business. You could literally hire completely different people that would understand all the processes of that business and that business would function on its own. The people are effectively redundant, even though they are not redundant to us as an organization, they're fantastic people. But if you don't build your business for that form of redundancy, then it becomes very difficult to be able to scale a remote organization. And then the last one is autonomy. The ability to be able to work however you want, whenever you want is so critical to the overall success of a remote organization. The, the management by attendance mindset is not something that will make you make your organization successful because number one, the vast majority of the time when people are in their office, they're not actually doing anything. And mm. we have the data to be able to prove that. Sure. But number two, uh, with the rise of remote work becoming permanent and a lot of the data suggests that this is going to become a very, very permanent way of working. People are not going to actually stay in your particular city uh, where you have that office that you had set up in 2019. They're going to be working from all over planet Earth and you can hire all over planet Earth to be able to retain that talent. So you're not going to need that same amount of synchronous time in order to actually work. So giving people autonomy to be able to work in Bali or Barcelona or New York or Toronto or Paris it's really up to you. Uh, even I just actually saw a fantastic documentary yesterday about Paris. 10,000 people a year are leaving Paris because mm. they can all work from home and they're going to like uh, Lyon or other places that are just, they have a much better lifestyle because they can work wherever they want, whenever they want. So adding that extra layer of autonomy is gonna be what really kind of gives you the rocket fuel to be able to blow up your remote team. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's interesting what you say about asynchronic um, communication because I think it's, as you mentioned, very, um, it's not intuitive. Um, I think most people really think like, oh, we have to have meetings all the time and we have to be available all the time and on Skype and you know Teams and, all these applications, which really are just an interruption to, to real deep work, as, as you mentioned. So how, what advice would you give to somebody who's looking to make that shift? What can they do to ensure that that kind of happens smoothly when people are not used to that way of functioning? So the first thing is it has to come from the top. Uh, unfortunately, if you're uh, a middle manager or a frontline worker inside of an organization, it's very difficult for you to be able to make that type of a shift. But if you are the owner of the business or you, you're an executive inside of the business, what I would highly suggest that you do is audit everyone's time. So 
we do it internally at Time Doctor. It's a time tracking tool for remote teams, obviously. So we, you know, this is something that we do. We try to keep our synchronous communication below 20% of our workday. Anything above that is quite disruptive towards the overall success of the organization because we've recognized that it's, it's quite redundant or we can communicate in different ways. Get a project management tool in place, set up those silent meetings, allow people to be able to actually get back to work. Uh, I love referencing Cal Newport's fantastic book, Deep Work. And for anyone that is interested, just go and check that out. It really kind of shows you that the ability to be able to get lost in your work, get into the quote unquote zone is what creates the most successful forms of work uh, for everyone inside of an organization. And that's what you, as the manager, is your goal is to be able to get people into that state and that Slack notification, that Microsoft Teams notification, that email notification, um, those are all disruptions that stop you from achieving deep work. Sure. Because it's not just the notification that you pay attention to for three seconds and then you go back to your work. The average amount of time that it takes you to get back from a push notification or a Slack message is 16 minutes back into a state of deep work. And mm. this is something that not many people really recognize is that, well, every time I send someone a Slack notification and pull them out of their flow state, it's not just pulling them out of their flow state for 30 seconds, it's 16 minutes. Add up mm. eight or nine of those, your entire day is shot and you're not actually right. being productive. Uh, so the other point that I would make, which is somewhat counterintuitive as well, I don't have any type of work notifications on any of my mobile devices. No Slack messages, no email messages. Um, none of that exists on my iPad or my, my mobile phone. I only have it on my work computer. And then when I open up and I start my work day, I do my eight hour shift and that's effectively it. Now, sometimes I go a little bit longer, sometimes I go a little bit shorter, but I generally want to just put in eight hours a day and then be done. Uh, and the only way that people can contact me is I have a special code inside of Slack, which is hashtag Liam emergency. And if someone types in hashtag Liam emergency inside of Slack, I'll get a notification on my phone. That's the only time that you can get in contact with me. Um, and it better be a huge emergency if that's happening. So that just frees everyone to be disconnected from all of these little notifications that number one, disrupt you from deep work, but more importantly, over the long term, create a pretty significant source of anxiety and stress inside of your workday. And uh, we've seen this, I mean, Zoom fatigue is real and Slack fatigue and Microsoft Teams fatigue you really need to be able to get rid of those notifications to allow yourself to be just in your work and not working for the notifications, but having the actual notifications work for you. I love those tips. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. I didn't realize it was 16 minutes lost each time. Um, but I, And I do absolutely agree with you with the fatigue. I think many people are going to take extended vacations this year, too, because of that mm -hmm. fatigue. And I don't think people anticipated that either. Um, 
I, I did have some other questions. So, I mean, in terms of applications that you, you can use, I mean, you've talked about Time Doctor to help with efficiency. Are there other types of applications that you think businesses can use um, as well so that they can kind of, um, you know, optimize or improve the way they manage their teams? I would get a some form of project management tool. Uh, we like to use Asana. A lot of people use Basecamp. Um, there's, it doesn't really matter what you use as long as you have the ability to be able to write down a particular subject and then have a threaded communication about that particular subject and get conclusion on it. Once you have that in place, you're really going to be able to start to have a lot of those asynchronous forms of communication that don't just exist inside of your email that have documentation so that you can go back three years later and you can say, well, why did we actually decide to make this decision as opposed to this other decision? Well, you can go back three years and you can actually see the subject of that meeting because it's all documented there and you can figure out, oh, well, it was because Laureen decided that this was the right direction to go and we've now recognized this is actually not the right direction to go. So therefore we should actually make the other decision. Uh, you don't get that inside of synchronous meetings because the moment that they're completed, they disappear because there's no documentation. So the documentation of these meetings is absolutely critical outside of, uh, basically a project management tool and a time tracking tool. The other thing that I think a lot of people should invest in is a process documentation tool. We like trainual.com, which is a fantastic tool for basically putting together documents and digitizing them very easily for your staff members. And there's even like, you can integrate quizzes and stuff like that so that people understand what's happened inside of those process docs. But another really great option is go to about.gitlab.com slash handbook. It's the largest repository of process documents on the planet. They have over 8,000 pages just about GitLab, about how they operate their business and it's completely open source. And they encourage you to steal it and basically create your own process document on top of GitLab as well. And then if you don't want to do any of that stuff, Google Docs is a really quick and easy way to be able to start that process. Throw a couple Google Docs up there and uh, just allow everyone to be able to get access to them inside of your organization so that that knowledge can be shared and isn't sacred anymore. Excellent. So, but do you believe that you, these tips that you're giving could be applied to any type of business or are there certain types of businesses that you don't think that this might work for? I think it can apply to any type of business. The, like even with process documentation, I'll poke on that a little bit. All organizations will run faster once they've built process documentation inside of their business. It's inevitable. The more, and even though people don't like bureaucracy, it's there for a reason, it works. Building bureaucracy and efficient bureaucracy allows for an organization to move faster. The problem is, is that it never seems like a top of mind problem. It's always the fifth, fifth top priority. Oh, we should do process documents, but you know, we really need to hire some more people or we need to hire these new managers or whatever it might be. Uh, so it never actually becomes a first priority. And the moment that you do it, you become more efficient. And so this is something that particularly small businesses I highly encourage them to be able to do, even just sit down for a week and just say, hey guys, 
listen, for one week, we're going to try to build out some process documents here. We're going to kind of just take a vacation from the business and we're all going to work on the business instead of in the business, build out these process documents and then actually test them across different departments. So someone from support, if they understand how a developer does their job, then the process documents have worked. Uh, I like, uh, there's a fantastic quote from Napoleon that I steal with regards to process documents, which is orders shouldn't be easy to understand. They should be impossible to misunderstand. And I think the same way, the same thing should be applied for process documents because it's so critical to be able to get that information into the hands of people and get it into their hands as simplistically as humanly possible. That's a great quote. Um, so tell us more about running remote. Sure. I mean, I've been doing that for four years uh, and it actually came out of our personal frustration for not really seeing how to build billion dollar remote first organizations. So four years ago, remote was, you know, there was a lot of information on how to get a virtual assistant or how to outsource to India, but there wasn't that much stuff about building billion dollar companies remotely. And so I had a ready fire aim policy we actually just booked a place in Bali for our first event and uh, booked a place without closing a single speaker or closing a single ticket sold. And we had about 260 people attend that one. We had, we had over 800 people attend the next one the, the next year. And then for Austin, we were going to have over a thousand people and that was supposed to launch in April of 2020 and everyone, mm knows what happened in March of 2020. <laughs> so sure, sure. we lost about a quarter of a million dollars on that one, which was, uh, which was actually very, very frustrating. And ironically, um, no one needed that information more than right at that moment. Sure. But we couldn't actually figure out a vehicle in order to deliver that at least at a break-even point. So we just said, okay, you know what? We're just gonna put the content together and give it away for free. We ran a completely free event uh, called Remote Aid, and we raised a bunch of money for charity, and that was um, that was fantastic. And we had we had uh, well in the last year we've had almost fifteen thousand people attend the virtual running remote conferences, which has been great. And hopefully, we'll be able to get back to them in person. But effectively, we just really focus on the other guys, the people that are very very quiet that have built multi-billion dollar companies remotely and um, they don't do it without that much fanfare because remote companies have historically not necessarily had that much fanfare until until 2020. Sure, sure. Do you think that it requires a lot of trust between management and employees to make re remote teams work? I think it does and I think it's really dependent upon the definition of trust. So um, as an example, internally inside of our company, we have a policy which we like to call radical transparency. So right now, everyone knows that I'm doing a podcast. Uh, I have a podcast written down on my particular time doctor and everyone can see, can get access to my data. And then 
I can see their data and everyone can basically just share their data openly. Uh, a lot of other companies have that open mindset, that open policy. Some people are resistant towards that. However, I think that we're probably going to see that completely change um, pretty soon. I don't like the idea of not really knowing the outputs of any of the staff inside of my organization. So I really measure results, meaning what did you do uh, over the week, month, quarter, and year? And how can I measure against that to be able to be ROI positive? That's all I'm really concerned about. But then being able to measure as early as humanly possible, whether I need to do a course correction with you is also critical to my business. So I feel trust is important. Um, the, I don't know the old, if you know the old adage, trust, but verify. Uh, but that's my general <laughs> philosophy inside of, inside of my organization. And it also applies to most large scale organizations right now. Uh, the, the mindset of, Hey, you know what? It doesn't really matter what your, what your staff are doing any day of the week. Um, just, just trust them blindly. I think that that's a pretty, that, that provides a lot of opportunities for a lot of other staff members to take advantage of your organization. Uh, I don't know if you remember way back Yahoo going remote and actually pulling everyone back into an office about six or seven years ago. Mm. And the hubbub about that was, well, they recognized that they had this open source of trust, but they realized in that five-year experiment of people working remotely, there were some people that it had not even submitted work in like mm. years. <laughs> they had no idea. They were still getting paid. They still, they still had a position, but they weren't doing meetings with their manager. It was just a completely open-ended system. And they basically said, well, if we fire all of these people, we're going to have a huge legal bat battle on our hands. So what we'll do instead is we'll pull everyone back into the office, have proper accountability put in place, and then re-implement a remote work policy, which is exactly what they did. So uh, I would be mindful about the just hey, I don't, you don't actually have to report anything back. You need to measure. If you don't measure, it's not managed. And um, that's intrinsic to trust on my part. Excellent. Do you have any other tips that you'd like to share with our audience today? I'd probably just say if there's anything that I would reinforce, it is that collaboration, more collaboration is always a good thing. And for remote teams, that is not correct. And that is the big thing that everyone needs to recognize is that remote teams run on a form of efficiency that's very alien to a lot of offices. And because of that, you have to have that reorganization in your head. Uh, you have to understand that pulling people out of their focus is actually a lot more detrimental than uh, getting an update on that TI-82 report every single week. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Liam. This has been extremely helpful and insightful. I really appreciate your expertise. Thanks for having me. You just listened to Simplified, brought to you by MediaDev. 
If you have software marketing questions or need help marketing your software solution, reach out to us at contact at mediadev.com and check out other amazing assets for you on our resource library at mediadev.com.